Dobrodošli na podcast Branding konferencije, u sklopu koje ćemo sa ekspertima iz područja brandinga i komunikacija razgovarati o fenomenima koji su obilježili turbulentne mjesece prve polovine 2020. godine, ali i onima koji nas očekuju u budućnosti kao direktna posljedica. Moje ime je Ilma Ramčević, performance video lead u Google i bit ću vaš host. Sve podcast epizode su kreirane u sklopu BK10 Online Week, održane u maju 2020. godine. We're very happy to have you here. Um, excited to hear how you think about the new normal. Uh, most of the people on this call, uh, marketeers, students, professors, uh, CMOs, VPs, all from the world of marketing probably read at least one of your books, uh, mandatory or voluntary. Michael, it's a pleasure to have you. Thank you. Thank you once again for inviting me. So I, I want to talk a little bit about um, consumer behavior in the new normal, which is a phrase we're probably tired of hearing already, but um, unfortunately there, there will be a new normal. So uh, for those of us in marketing, we need to, of course, uh, start, to, start to think about that and start to think about what our customers are going to be looking for in this new normal. So uh, I, I have been studying consumer behavior for many years, um, and uh, I have the gray hair to prove it, but uh, uh, I, I would like to, to tell you that I have a crystal ball and I can look into the future and, and tell you um, exactly what people will be doing. But I think anyone who does that um, is, uh, you should probably question that because Nobody really knows um, what is going to be happening. Um, however, we can certainly make some educated guesses about that. And uh, as we know, uh, when, we, when we study marketing, the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. So uh, at least we can all start by looking back uh, at history, looking back at fairly recent uh, events that were somewhat similar and maybe get some wisdom from that. So uh, it's very interesting to look at advertising from the 1918 influenza pandemic that uh, swept through Europe. And uh, many of us, of course, don't, I don't think anybody uh, remembers it directly, but uh, But when we look at the advertising, and these are just a few examples of ads that I've found, uh, it's quite remarkable how similar the messaging is. And so we have to remember that the people uh, at that period, about 100 years ago, were experiencing everything we are now to a much greater degree. The number of deaths was much, much higher than hopefully our, uh, this will be. And of course, these people didn't have the benefit of the internet, so <laughs> they couldn't even occupy their time by, uh, by going on Zoom calls and, and so on. Uh, it's also interesting to look when we, when we look at the value of social distancing. I don't know how it is there in the Adriatic region, but here in the US, there's a lot of resistance now to, to social distancing. People, consumers are just tired of being locked up, um, but the, The, the simple truth is if we look, uh, if, if we look for example, um, at uh, United States cities, 
back in 1918. Those that did enforce social distancing, uh, this was an art, an analysis uh, in the New York Times a few weeks ago. Uh, the cities in the United States that practiced very rigorous social distancing really uh, benefited from that. And you can see here in terms of employment rates and employment growth after that pandemic, uh, those cities to the right on your screen were the ones that practiced social distancing. So that clearly is, is a lesson that I think we can all learn. Um, if we look a little more recently to the Great Recession that happened about 10 years ago, a little over 10 years ago, uh, one of the things that we can see is, is very interesting. I've, I found a report from the McKinsey firm uh, in 2009, and uh, one of the predictable things that I think we'll see is that people are going to be buying lower-priced brands, that is, they're not probably willing to necessarily pay a premium for higher priced brands. Um, and one of the things that you find is that when people do are, are forced to try new things, sometimes they like them. And so uh, according to the data that you see here, about a third of the people who switched to lower priced brands during that recession actually decided that they liked those brands and they didn't go back to the higher price brands. So, so one of the, uh, I think, challenges that, that traditional brands face um, is how can we um, continue to communicate value? Now, more generally, I, I find it uh, helpful when we think about how change happens and how something like a pandemic forces us to change uh, I find it useful to think about uh, uh, a very famous social psychologist. I'm, I'm a social psychologist by training. One of my, uh, one of my role models is uh, Kurt Lewin, a German social psychologist, one of the founders of the field. And, and Lewin uh, proposed a change model that is often used in management, actually, to, to look at how companies manage change. But I think it's also helpful to us uh, to provide a framework to think about what we're seeing now. And uh, basically what Lewin said is, um, you know, we, we go along and we have what he called an apparent equilibrium. That is, we're moving along day to day. Obviously there's changes happening day to day, but for the most part, society is going along uh, in a fixed way. And then something happens whether it's in a company or in a culture, to uh, what Lewin said, to unfreeze that. that. That is, suddenly our behaviors, our habits are unfrozen. So we go from being frozen and, and doing things largely by habit because that's the way we always do them to uh, a situation where something causes them to unfreeze. So obviously a pandemic is, is an event like that. Uh, when things unfreeze, that is, uh, you know, a crisis creates opportunities because what it means is that suddenly people who were locked into, a, into uh, habits, into a, a, a set way of doing things, are now willing to consider other ways to do things. And so what we see is during these periods, there is a window where people are willing to change their behavior. Uh, that might mean reconsidering uh, brands that they buy, doing things that they didn't used to do, and so on, and I'll talk more about that. 
But what happens is that after that window passes, we have a refreezing period. And now we're frozen into that new way of doing things. Because really at the heart of it, consumers don't like to change. If things that they're doing are working for them reasonably well, many of us tend to be very resistant to change. And so after this change occurs, now we're going to refreeze and we're going to find that many of the behaviors that we changed during this crisis period are going to stay with us after the fact. So I think that's just a useful way to think about behavior as kind of like an iceberg that suddenly starts to unfreeze, change occurs, but then it gets cold again, and now we are refreezing into that new way of doing things. So when we talk about this new normal, uh, essentially what I think happens is we're all, uh, what happens during a crisis like this is that it tends to accelerate changes that were already starting to take place. And so we can think about various market disruptions that we were starting to see in the last uh, three to five years. Um, and we can think about the pandemic as basically being fuel or gasoline that gets added onto that fire. And so uh, what we see is those changes are going to happen much more quickly. So to give you an example of that, uh, here's a recent article that says, robots welcome to take over as pandemic accelerates automation. So one of those market disruptions that many of us have been talking about is automation, for example, in retailing where uh, although there's a lot of resistance to this because a lot of people will lose their jobs, uh, clearly this was a movement that was starting to take place. But now what does the pandemic do? It tends to pour fuel on the fire and accelerates that. So that's one example of the kind of uh, market disruption that, I, that I'm talking about. So more generally, when we look at how our culture is or was changing, uh, which we have been transforming into what I would refer to as a postmodern culture. And I'll tell you more about what I mean by that. But, uh, but basically, these are changes in our, in our modern society that were happening already. But again, I think the pandemic will, will pour some fuel onto that fire. So what do I mean by postmodernism here? Um, it may be a term that many listeners are familiar with. Uh, it's used in a variety of ways. Um, the way I'm using it is to focus on this notion that truth or reality is more subjective than it is in a period of modernism where things are very clearly defined. We have clearly defined categories, the way we organize our world. I'll talk more about that. But as we move toward a more postmodern world, we find that Truth is relative, and we certainly see this, unfortunately, in, in I have to say, some American politics, uh, when, when we have a president here who talks about fake news, and so, you know, he can actually just tell lies to people and tell them that, and say that uh, he's telling the truth. That's an unfortunate side, maybe, of postmodernism. But more generally, what it means is that these very rigid boundaries that we're used to organizing our experience in are blurring together in some interesting ways. 
Um, and so I'm going to give give everyone a warning uh, uh, because I uh, before the virus uh, last year I, I published a book uh, about postmodernism in marketing, and it's called Marketers Tear Down These Walls. And and nobody worry, I'm not trying to sell you a book because actually uh, um, at the end of my presentation, if anyone's interested, I'll give you the opportunity to get a one of these books for free if, if you're interested and you're still conscious at the end of my talk. But what I talk about in that book is the birth of the postmodern consumer. And when we think about the role that branding plays in modern consumer behavior, it's very important to understand that brands are and continue to be extremely important to people. It's not that young people, for example, do not like brands, but brands today play a profoundly important role in defining who we are as individuals, uh, especially as more traditional ways to define ourselves like religious affiliation, uh, geographical affiliation, and so on, as those things tend to go away for many people living in modern society what we see is that brands arise to take their place. So if you're in branding, if you study branding or if you do branding, it's important to recognize the importance that brands continue to play from the time we're born as people are using these brands to literally define who they are and to define their place in society. And so one of the interesting things that happens is when we look at so-called lifestyle marketing, which many people in the audience are quite familiar with, what we see is that the traditional ways to put people into little categories, into lifestyle categories, in a postmodern society really no longer work. And so what we see is that people are experimenting with behaviors, with expressions of different lifestyles that they wouldn't have done maybe 10 or 20 years ago. And that means that we can no longer practice many of the traditional market segmentation strategies that used to work so well uh, 30 or 40 years ago, or even uh, 10 or 15 years ago. So let's, let's talk about what I mean by categories and, and why they no longer apply. Uh, in the fashion area, for example, I do a lot of work with fashion companies. Um, one of the categories that people in that industry are used to thinking about is what we call athletic wear. Now, that's a category that was really very static for quite a while. It was not really growing very much. We have a second category that industry experts call leisure wear. And again, that's a very familiar category, but it's also one that, uh, was, not, that was not doing very well. Now, what we saw a few years ago is that some very smart people said, you know what, what if we invent a new category, rather than trying to get people to buy more leisure wear, for example, what if we look between the lines here and we invent a new category that we call athleisure, which is a hybrid. That is, it shares, the, the, the garments in this category share the characteristics of these two traditional categories. And so we have athleisure. I'm, I'm guessing that, uh, that in, the, in your region, this is also popular. It's hugely popular here in the States. Uh, women wearing yoga pants and so on, uh, maybe even to work, especially uh, during, the, during the virus. So this is an example of, of creating a market opportunity 
not by expanding a category, but by looking at new categories. And that's a, that's a characteristic of postmodern culture. So there is a lot of traditional categories that we can actually see are collapsing. And it's, and it's very important for marketers not to think in terms of these traditional categories. So I'll share a few with you here that I talk about in the book, owning versus renting. Um, we're seeing this here uh, in the United States very strongly. I know it's strong in Europe as well. Uh, especially for younger women, uh, the, this notion that you have to own everything uh, as opposed to renting it temporarily, that, that distinction is collapsing. Um, in advertising, we see a collapse of the category of digital versus physical. That is, many of the so-called uh, models that we use in fashion, for example, actually don't exist in the real world because like this woman here, they are digital creations. And so that erosion of the category between the digital world and the physical world has very, very important implications. Even humans versus cyborgs or robots. Uh, we, we see here Saudi Arabia actually gives citizenship to a robot. So distinctions that we make between flesh and blood people and uh, people that are made out of metal or, or other materials that's a category that's also dissolving with some very interesting ramifications for marketing, I think. So when we think about the, the new normal, um, what I've done is, you know, I've tried to think about what are some of the changes we're going to see. And um, I've identified what I'm thinking of as three pillars uh, or uh, uh, foundations of the new normal. And these are gratification, agency, and stability. And I'm gonna talk about each of those. And so I, I think if you, if you like metaphors like this, uh, when we think about these three, gratification, agency, and stability, this is gas that, uh, that is being poured on that fire that I was talking about. So let me talk a little bit about each of these three and what it might mean for you and your business. First, let me talk about gratification. So we all know that we are stuck inside. I think we are to a greater degree than you are right now. Uh, but everybody is going pretty crazy. And so we know that that people are very eager to get out. They're very eager to uh, re-experience things they used to take for granted, like sitting in a restaurant or shopping in a store. They're going to be looking for ways to feel good after many months of not feeling so good. And so we have some interesting categories that are going to dissolve. Uh, one of those, I'm thinking in terms of hedonism versus functionality. In other words, on the one hand, we want to uh, buy things that make us feel good. On the other hand, especially uh, in light of the economic consequences for many people, unfortunately, losing jobs, losing income, uh, there is a limit to how much of that they will be able to afford in the new normal. And so when we look at different scenarios, you know, what life will be like, uh, there have been a lot of predictions about this. And it's interesting, as I read some of what uh, different futurists are writing, I, I'm seeing two very uh, conflicting, really opposite uh, scenarios, uh, sometimes literally in the same article. So these are two futurists that were featured in an article a few weeks ago 
about what life will look like. Um, and I'm not going to give their names in case they're wrong. Uh, but the first, the first one says people will focus on fewer and better things. Uh, in other words, it's going to be a conflict between what bills we pay and we're going to have to really prioritize and make hard choices. Now, the second, a very well-known futurist says this, the opposite. Uh, people will realize it's time to get to the beach, maybe get that Mercedes they always wanted. Uh, once the dust settles, we could see a period of rampant consumerism. So you can see here, these are two very opposite scenarios. So which is correct? Are we going to rein in our desires? Or are we going to express our desires? I think they're both right. But I think that the compromise is this, that we will focus on what I'm calling guilty pleasures. So for example, if we look again at past behavior, if we look at the recession from about 10 years ago, uh, here in the United States anyway, something I found very interesting is that sales during that period, sales of retail, of uh, premium ice cream, more expensive ice cream went up dramatically a lot of companies reported this. So as this person says in this newsletter, when things are hard, ice cream is a relatively inexpensive way to feel good. So uh, if we think about it, we're going to see maybe, and the smart companies will, will understand this, what we can think of as accessible indulgences. So if you look at how big uh, multinationals market in developing countries, um, uh, you see, for example, initially they turned away from those countries because the average income was so low, but then big multinationals like Unilever and Procter and Gamble uh, figured out that if they could change their product offerings, they could actually make a lot of money. So Procter and Gamble, for example, might create sachets of detergent like the, this Ariel detergent that it sells in India. And by making them very inexpensive, you have a few billion people buying those, you start to make some money. So uh, one of the things that we might think about is can your company create what we can think of as affordable fashion or affordable luxury? These are examples of designer brands that sell a much less expensive version. So a woman, for example, who doesn't want to pay in US dollars $150 for Chanel perfume, uh, might be content to buy a Chanel bath soap for 26 US dollars. So it's interesting to see how people are going to relate to brands as they want to uh, feel good about themselves. Um, people are using brands again in interesting ways. Uh, they're combining these brands as part of their self-expression. Uh, here we see in Japan, we have armpit advertising. Uh, maybe we're going to see more of that as companies put logos, for example, on face masks. Uh, we're going to see new social rituals. Um, I'm sure uh, where you are, I certainly, I've participated in many Zoom happy hours where friends get together and share things. So that creates opportunities maybe. For example, test kits that you can mail out to your customers where they might try uh, small samples of your products. Uh, here on your right, you see actually a wine tasting kit. So you can, you can actually have a Zoom call where everybody gets to uh, taste the same kind of wine and maybe talk about it. So that's an ingenious way to, uh, to find an opportunity, perhaps. And of course, virtual gratification. We'll probably see more 
Uh, we were seeing this before already, but virtual, uh, virtual reality and so on uh, starting to accelerate. Obviously, one of the biggest categories that will go away largely is the distinction we make between work versus play, as many of us are starting to work from home. So, uh, so we see, for example, that uh, that fashion will change as people no longer, uh, at least in the short term, are getting dressed to go to work. So I think some likely winners from this gratification uh, column are these. Um, I'm sure there are others as well, but you can read some of these, you know, whether it's uh, gardening or home fitness, putting things into smaller packages, as I mentioned, online events, online education, virtual makeovers, and so on. Uh, these are likely winners due to that need for gratification. Uh, the second pillar I'm calling agency. What do I mean by that? That means controls. When psychologists use the word, the English word agency, we mean that people have a need to feel that they are in control. So one way we're in control is by organizing things, uh, knowing where things are and being more efficient. Again, this was a trend we were seeing uh, before the virus. Now we're going to see a lot more opportunities for companies, perhaps that sell ways to better organize what you already own. And the way that, that also that we create agency is by being more active. That is, we want to do things that allow us to exert control. So uh, in the early stages of the virus, at least, we had a lot of hoarding behavior where people are buying up things like toilet paper. And you might say, why are they doing that? Well, because they were able to. That is, by having, let's say, a supply of personal care products, uh, toilet paper, et cetera, uh, you're able to at least have control over that part of your life. So that's an important psychological reason for hoarding behavior. And more generally, the need for hygiene, because by cleaning a lot, you're able to exert some control over your environment. And so uh, what we're seeing here, I'm guessing you'll see it there, is that the large majority of shoppers will be looking for more hygienic environments. They'll be looking for retail environments where you don't have to uh, go to the cash register and so on. So uh, hygiene is going to change a lot of things. Maybe it will be the end of handshakes. We'll have to see about that. Uh, more generally, I think it will create a need for what I'm calling inventory awareness. That is the need to control your inventory. Uh, for example, uh, smart refrigerators that, uh, that were available but maybe will become more attractive that literally can monitor your supplies of different things that are in your refrigerator or in your pantry. Uh, dashboards that keep track of your financial health, your psychological health, um, your medical health, and so on. Uh, even uh, hygiene when it comes to money, maybe we'll see even less uh, uh, paper money being circulated in the near future. Uh, already we see opportunities like this where we have uh, an ATM that dispenses money that has been laundered, literally, that has been sanitized. Interesting opportunity there. So here are some likely winners due to the need for agency. Uh, telemedicine, the need to uh, stay on top of your health even though you can't visit your doctor. Obviously cleaning products, organizational products, buying in bulk, 
maybe self-driving vehicles, um, pre-packaged food that doesn't require everybody to dip into this with their hands into the food. And these are all um, uh, answering our need for agency. Uh, the, final, the final column as I come to the end here is the need for stability. And so we're seeing that in times of unpredictability like now, people are more risk averse. They, they don't want to take the chances that they used to take. Maybe they're not going to be looking as much for novel products, but they're going to rely on the old familiar things. Uh, we're seeing this already with, with food purchases, where sales of what we call comfort foods, you know, very traditional foods that we grew up with, are likely to go up. So, for example, here in the U.S., we're seeing sales of, of canned uh, foods like these are going up very high. Um, this was a, a woman who posted uh, one of the first things I grabbed after the virus was Kraft Easy Cheese, the disgusting orange stuff in a can. I don't know if you have it there. Uh, it was one of the foods I ate growing up, so it's a nostalgia thing. And more generally, nostalgic uh, advertising, uh, familiar, you know, showing people images of things that are very familiar from their past are going to be very comforting to people. Um, the, the barrier between indulgence versus investment. So we were starting to see a pushback against so-called fast fashion, buying cheap things and turning them over very quickly. Now we're going to see probably a focus on buying fewer things, but things of higher quality. Um, and, and just to finish up, it's interesting to look at how consumers will relate to companies. So again, we want to deal with companies that we can rely upon, companies that we trust, which is a, a big order because many customers nowadays do not trust companies. But I think we'll see a return to brand loyalty, which was going down for many years uh, as a reward for companies that show us that they have our best interests at heart and not just uh, not just uh, saying good things. Like, for example, McDonald's, you may be aware, tried to do this by changing their logo to emphasize social distancing. People did not like that because they felt like they were just making an empty gesture. And in contrast, Burger King did some, did some positive things here in France. They were showing people how to make a Whopper during quarantine, but literally giving away free meals to people who needed them. And that got a much more positive response. So uh, it's interesting uh, when you look at surveys like this that say actually most consumers believe that brands can do more to solve social problems than governments. People will be looking to brands to help out and help us get back to normal. This uh, survey that was done for PepsiCo, global survey, most respondents believe that empathy shown by brands is more important right now and that using your marketing to address the pandemic is an act of empathy. So how can brands be empathetic, treating people with respect, listening to your customers, acknowledging when you're wrong, and the number one reason people give, responding to workers and the community first. So uh, traditionally, we were starting to hear a lot of talk about sustainability, but most of it was focusing on the planet, I think, you know, green marketing and so on relatively less conversation about this part of sustainability, people. And so one change we'll see is that there'll be more conversation about how do companies treat their workers 
and are they making sure that they're safe, et cetera. So much greater focus on, on prioritizing workers' health, for example. And these are some likely winners, I think, as I've said, uh, uh, companies that practice corporate social responsibility. So uh, those are the three pillars, I think, of the new normal. And I think I've, uh, I've hit my time. Um, as I promised, uh, thank you for your attention. If you're interested in a, in a free digital uh, version of my book, by all means, please send me an email and my team will be happy to send you one. So I thank you for your attention. Hvala vam na slušanju podcast sesije Branding konferencije. Čujemo se uskoro u novoj epizodi.